Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash podcast, all one word. That is why people join communities. They're in it for the transformation. And you can only have transformation through uncomfort. And so creating situations that are hard, but creating an environment where they feel safe psychologically to attempt them is paramount. Welcome to this episode of the Community Experience. I am your host, Jillian Benbow, along with my co-host du jour, Sarah Jane Hess. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Again. Yeah. It's been fun. I know. Today we're talking to Kyle Haggy of Morning Brew. And this was a blast. He is a legit community manager. Like he knows there's so many people in community today that like to talk a lot about what to do and how to do it, but haven't actually managed community. So I'll just leave it at that to say like Kyle has, he walks the walk. He talks the talk. It was really fun talking to him. I could talk to him forever. Yeah, he was super great. And I think the other thing that I really loved is like he had action behind all of the things that he has talked about, not just with community building, but I guess community building in a lot of different forms, whether it was with his AmeriCorps experience or political experience. It's just very cool to hear him talk about putting things into action. I loved that. Yeah, we like action. We like action. Yeah, so we'll get into all of that. And he had some really insightful experiences, experience with just shared experience and how, how you can use that to kind of speed up the relationship process, which in digital community, especially is really important. But he also had some in-person situations that we love and we'll get into. So you just wait. It's coming here on this episode of the community experience. All right, we are delighted to introduce our guest today, Kyle Haggy of Morning Brew. Kyle, hello. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited for the conversation. Absolutely. We are equally excited. We've been having fun pre-recording, had to hit record so we could capture it all. Kyle, you are a community manager, community leader like myself. So I'm super excited because I love you know, you get two community managers in the room and just like get ready to be like, what the hell are they talking about? So, <laughs> Will you be the best room or the most annoying room of all time? The best room, obviously. <laughs> I'll let you know. Yeah. Sarah Jane can can like keep tabs and be like, you two are dorks. But yeah, so you have like a storied career. You've been all over the place. You're currently at Morning Brew and you're a community leader for just there's so many programs. I want to talk about it all because it sounds amazing. But before we do, let's go back in history. You were, a, you know, into poli sci in university and you were kind of more in like the political side of things. And then you just kind of and now fast forward and you're in community for more like entrepreneurial stuff. What what's the story there? How the tell us about your journey. For sure. Well, kudos on the research. I always <laughs> it actually is quite impressive when people 
do any research. So I love it. The background check we uh, paid for was interesting. Right. I hope it, I hope it came <laughs> back. Kidding. Good. <laughs> Worth every penny. Yeah. Exactly. So I went to university for political science and philosophy. I went to the University of Minnesota. And one of my first experiences at university was I was actually a fellow for the Obama campaign in 2012 while I was a student. And I got into or was interested in politics and policy kind of for like the impact. I just thought that was a good place to make a difference in the world. And kind of no matter what your politics are, if you want to make a large scale impact, it tends to have policy implications. And so that was really exciting to me. What I learned through that process was that the type of people, and I'm stereotyping here, that are attracted to kind of the campaigning was just a different type of person than I am. And so I kind of lost steam on that side of things. I never lost this desire to make an impact. And, you know, kind of throughout my career, I've always thought of ways on how to do that. And, you know, we'll get into this, but I, I saw that cohorts or community is, is often a great way to make impact that is outside yourself. It's a huge point of leverage. It allows you to scale impact in a way that you can't do as an individual. And so some of these first kind of political experiences were at least a taste of collective action or community uh, being a really powerful force in the world. After university, I did AmeriCorps. So I was actually moved from Minnesota to Milwaukee, did two years of AmeriCorps. I was teaching in a high school, again, had a, a cohort of 40 students. And I was focused on college access and college prep. And I always told myself after those two years, if you can get 40 kids to come after school and even pretend to care about the ACT, you can pretty much do anything. And so that, you know, was a huge transformational experience in my life for one of the big takeaways I had from that experience was in order to do the thing you want to do, we wanted to help them get better ACT scores. We wanted to get them into the colleges they wanted to get into. Before all of that, you have to build community. And the most successful coaches in AmeriCorps that I saw were the ones that focused on building community, building relationships before making any sort of asks. And so that was huge for me and really, again, helped me understand the power of community, the power of relationships to achieve, to help other people achieve what they want to achieve. Went to grad school after that, was in a, a little cohort myself, got my master's in political science. Honestly, don't know why I did it. But the program was pretty cool and they like paid for school and all that. So that helped. And then I worked for the housing authority for the city of Milwaukee doing marketing and business development. I did some remote civic tech work for this company called Ballot Ready. Then I had my own platform, uh, media company, civic engagement company called Bridge the City that was focused on, hey, people care about making an impact on the national level. They often forget about the local level. And if you've ever emailed your senator it's quite easy to be like, wow, I'm never going to get involved in politics again. They don't give a shit. And so we wanted to take this, I think, innate human energy to make your community better and transform where that was applied. People tend to apply it at the national level. They get really discouraged. I still think national politics are very important. But how do we pivot that to a local engagement first to start that flywheel of community activism where, oh, your school board members will certainly get back to you because 10 people vote in those elections and your you know local elected officials will and your business leaders will. So we had a really a focus on local. Again, lots of community lessons came from that experience. And then finally, sorry to give you the whole thing, but I worked for Marquette after uh, as a podcast producer, nonetheless, and kind of an innovation guy. And I worked with the innovator in residence at Marquette. His name was Chuck Sabota, former 
CEO of a company called Cree. It's a publicly traded company. He was CEO for 16 years, scaled it from 50 million to 1.6 billion. And so I learned a lot about innovation and entrepreneurship from him. And we interviewed other innovators and entrepreneurs. So my last takeaway is my kind of personal monopoly. This is probably a good framework for anyone to think about. Like, what are you kind of three things that you can combine in a unique way that give you this advantage that no one can really replicate? I like to think of it like I had these community experiences that were really powerful. I had this like innovation experience that was really powerful. And then I was running kind of my own podcast, my own media platform that was really powerful. And so when I took the job at Morning Brew, it was almost this perfect Venn diagram, right, of your personal monopoly. It was community, it was innovation, and it was media. And I sat right at the center of that. And I think it has allowed me to hopefully do a good job in that setting. That is the best recitation of a resume I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) So good. There we go. I'll send it to my parents after. I am sure they are so proud. And it's fun to see your journey. Like we can certainly follow along and see what played impact. And I often think about, you know, digital community because a lot of people think of community building and whatnot as local community, right? And it is, it's very overlapping. And I think community managers in general and the type of people drawn to the work we do were helpers. So it only makes sense that some of us end up doing, you know, digital kind of higher, like big scale stuff. Some people are boots on the ground within the community that they live in or or whatnot. And so we all, we're all pals. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's important. Impact can be made in several different ways. And I'm not here to tell you how to make an impact, but I think it's nice to hear like you can impact the world in a variety of different ways and finding what is comfortable and what's easiest or where you can have the most leverage is a really a smart idea. It is. And to your point, like if we all focus on the thing that matters to us in our corner of the world, hypothetically, that should lift us all up together collectively, which is awesome. Tell us more about Bridge the City and just what that work was like, you know, just all of it what, and, and how like running that. Yeah. So Bridge the City was this kind of podcast media community company that I alluded to earlier. I had started it my first year of grad school with a friend of mine, Ben. And then we had, I think, six people working on it by the time I left. Bridge the City, the whole point was to give people action steps, concrete critical action steps on how they can get more involved in their community. Again, our thesis was people do care. And I often hear like, oh, people don't care about politics. I I do think people care about politics because they care about their neighborhoods. They care about their community. They care about people that might not have the same privilege as them. And I generally think humankind is good, that we want to see other people succeed and be happy. It's just the way that we're expressing this care often is through ways that we don't feel like we're heard. And so it's quite easy to feel disenfranchised for every group and particularly certain groups in this country. And, you know, our goal was like, how do we take this energy and allow people to channel it in a way that has positive feedback loops? And we thought our hypothesis was if you do things locally, you see change happen faster. People are more responsive. You know, there's power in proximity. And so if we can really get people to care about local issues and local policy and local school board and local business, they're going to get kind of, you know, addicted to civic engagement. And once you have some success and you see some movement, all right, then scale up. Now you're working at the state level and then maybe you go to the national level. But if you start at the national level, I often feel people think that's the only way to get involved. And they're like, no one is listening. And it's easy to feel like it doesn't matter. 
And so that was our whole goal. We basically recorded a podcast every single week with civic leaders of all different types. We did community events, like we would have panels and talk about criminal justice or housing uh, or other issues affecting the Milwaukee community. And, you know, again, we tried to arm people with action steps. Every episode ended with an action step. Something I try to carry through throughout my career is not just like telling people about what the problem is, but like arming them with an idea, an action step that they can do the next day to make a difference and get people moving and get people acting. And I think the rest takes care of itself then. I love that. And I think it's it's so important because I think one thing I want to just hold on to there is the action step. I watched your TEDx video and you talk about like people being intimidated to get involved on a national level because like you just said, it feels like they don't matter. But I think also they don't know where to start because they are just one vote. So it's like, how do I get started? And I think I love the idea of giving small steps and you just guide people there. Right. Well, thank you. I think it's, uh, I think it's a good idea myself too. <laughs> so Kyle, tell me more about Oddly Specific. Oh, wow. We did, <laughs> man, kudos to your researcher, whoever it is. David. If it's you too. Well done. All right, David. Shout out to David. Okay. Oddly Specific is a idea that I had with my friend Rachel, who at the time worked at Morning Brew. She now works at Tido. Shout out to Rachel. It was this idea. I had just moved to New York. She actually had just moved to New York from both from the Midwest as well. And it was this idea that the relationships that you form that are the stickiest, that actually last and that matter the most, you tend to meet those people in like oddly specific scenarios. The weirder how you meet someone is, it's like more memorable, almost by definition. And I just felt that the number of like, hey, come drink on a rooftop parties was like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like a rooftop. I like a drink. A view is nice. But like, that's what everyone was doing. And I just felt like you weren't actually forming like actual relationships. And so we wanted to put together a series of events where people met in oddly specific ways that enabled actually lasting friendships. And so our first event that we did was something called Stoop and Sip. We found 15 stoops across New York in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And we had uh, 100 people about sign up. And then the day of, we assigned them to a stoop. We said, go to this address. There's going to be a stoop there. There's going to be a set of drinks and beverages and like get to know you cards. And randomly, four or five other people are going to be at that stoop too. And you're going to meet some new people on a stoop and have a sip. Yeah, we pulled it off. People showed up to 15 stoops across the city. And I will say like, you know, it's anecdotal, but I, I think the evidence does suggest, at least from what we heard back, that so many people actually did form friendships that are still lasting around. Like now they're going rock climbing because it's just like when you, it's just so freeing. Like, what are we doing? It's just this like cool bonding experience. You're going to forget that person you might've got drinks with once on a rooftop because it fades into all the rooftops you've ever been to. You're not going to forget the person who on Ludlow Avenue, you drank a kombucha with, you know, on a stoop in New York city. And so it was really cool. We had a great time and we're looking to do more kind of experiential events um, that, you know, are oddly specific. A sip and stoop. I love it. Yes, it was a blast. It's like thrilling. It's thrilling. <laughs> I, I'm sure like going, you're just like, it, it's kind of like blind date energy without all the pressure of that. Right. Blind, blind dating friends. Yeah. Like there's no, you don't have to worry about all the other stuff. You just like, we're just going to show up and hang out and then like, whatever. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a fun experience. Yeah. And in an unintimidating environment too, it's just a stoop. Like, yeah, it's a stoop. Yeah. So that's so cool. And I love that 
in-person get togethers in that way. We talk on this show a lot about loneliness and making friends as an adult. And it's just hard, right? Like you have your, once you're in adulthood, especially moving to a, a new city, New York is one of those cities, a lot of people move to and uproot to, and just being able to like, how do you find your people and how do you find social connections, be it acquaintances or, or like true friends? It's very hard. So I love that you're doing work for that. That's It's just like fun and refreshing. Like you said, it's not a like, oh, let's meet for a happy hour at this bar. Like we always do. And you know, it's just different. You hit on, uh, I think part of the thesis that I left out. And that is the fact that it is very hard to make friends as adults for a lot of people. And, you know, I think the reason that is, is that there's always been this like third space growing up that you go to, like you're at school, like you're just going to be around these people for like, nine months, odds are like one of you'll like someone and you're going to get enough exposure to them, right? Like a huge part of friendship is just constant exposure. And you get that in school. You get that when you're playing sports, you get that if you're in, you know, theater, whatever it might be. And when you become an adult, your work can quickly take over your life. And there's different boundaries at work than you have with, you know, in other places around friendship. And, you know, I think our theory is that when you do weirder things, it actually takes the time needed to become friends and shrinks it, right? When you have really unique, oddly specific experiences, it's almost like you've had three months of like normal experiences. And so the weirder situation, I don't know if you ever met someone like traveling. It's like, you'll have like two days with them, but like you're in Italy and it's like weird. And you're like, I met someone else from Minnesota, like you're friends instantly. So it is playing around with the context in which you're meeting people that affects how fast you're able to form friendships. And so we're trying to give adults a chance to form friendships fast in an oddly specific way because people are busy, but they they still want friends. Gosh, that's so true. And th- I think too, like things like, I mean, not to take a dark turn, but like traumatic events, like if you go through a, a horrible experience and there's other people, like you will, you will create a bond with that person yeah. that is so deep, so fast because it was like a life, it was a life-changing event. 100%. I suppose it could be a good life-changing event, but it's usually something catastrophic. (laughs) But anyways, we won't go there. The world has enough problems. Let's focus on fun stuff like the Morning Brew community. All right. Um, Tell us. I mean, I'm so excited. I was looking at the about page and just all the things. Tell us. How does it work? Just tell our audience, like, what's what's the community? So uh, just to give people a background on Morning Brew, if you're not familiar with it, it started as a daily newsletter, covers business, a little bit of culture, a little bit of like politics, but like really just like what happened yesterday. Get smarter in five minutes or less. We now have 4 million subscribers to that daily newsletter. Morning Brew has branched out into other sub verticals. So we instead of, you know, the Morning Brew daily newsletter, we also have Marketing Brew or Retail Brew or Emerging Tech Brew where we're taking one specific industry and we're covering that kind of in the same premise, you know, what's going on. Let us help you make better decisions at your job if you're a marketer. Get what you need to know in five minutes. And then like any media company, now we're developing other platforms. So we have podcasts, you know, we have sponsored Twitter spaces, we have social. And so it is now kind of a, broadly speaking, digital media company, I think really well positioned for a millennial audience. And people really love the brand. So I would say we have a really large audience and how I define audience and community audience is one to many community is many to many. So morning brew was really, it's an audience based business. Our newsletter, it comes from one 
morning brew, it goes out to many, but the many it gets, they're not really interacting. Now you can make the argument on social they are. And I, I think we actually have developed a decent community. Like that is a hybrid of an audience in a community, but that's how I would define our relationship for the most part. Now, when I was hired, I was hired to be the community manager on the first paid product that morning brew was developing. And, you know, I was the second slash third hire on that team, the education team. And we were building essentially like cohort based courses. And the idea was, hey, you know, we should diversify different revenue streams. It'd be nice to have a paid product. But like, what if we got this audience that we have out here and like gave them a chance to not only level up, they're probably interested in that because they're reading the news every day, but like interact with each other and really form a community based product, a many to many product. And so came on to that team. We developed our first ever kind of cohort-based course, educational experience, whatever you want to call it, is called the Morning Brew Accelerator, or MB slash A. And it is an eight-week course where professionals come to accelerate their career. So we have various different pillars. People do live events. We have asynchronous content. We have a personal board of directors. We have really cool case studies that, you know, we did the impossible. We made case studies fun. And all of this wrapped into an eight-week experience where you gain the necessary skills a modern business leader needs, but you're also gaming a really dynamic community of other ambitious professionals that you get to stay in for your entire career. We have alumni programming, alumni Slack and all that stuff. So um, yeah, it's been an incredible experience. We now have different products, not just MBA, but really focused on community, many to many based products that both help you level up as a business leader, but also give you a community of other professionals. Yeah. As we were doing our research, Jillian and I were like, Ooh, maybe, maybe we should sign up for this. <laughs> I, I certainly think you should. I'll, I'll hit you with a referral app. Yeah, we would love that. I want to go back to your Venn diagram for a minute. And to kind of steal from speaking of your Twitter, now that we have collected all of these things, and you seem to have connected them, can you tell us how you're able to use all of those strengths that you've gathered in this role at Morning Brew? Yeah, what a wonderful question. So I think community roles in general, you know, my advice to anyone in community roles or wanting to get into community roles is what I've seen is the people with the most disparate experiences end up being the best community managers. And the reason I think this is, is that, you know, part of being a community manager is forming relationships with lots of different people. If you want your community to be full of like vibrant, different perspectives, you're going to have to interact with people with, you know, vibrant, different perspectives. And if you've kind of lived a one track life, uh, again, it's people's preference, but it's might be harder for you to relate to other people. I've done a lot of different things. I also like when I was farming in Europe for two months through this woofing program, like I feel like I've lived lives that probably could have dovetailed into several different careers. And I think community is kind of a perfect place to get into if you've lived that type of life, because, you know, I could be talking to a founder one day in our program and I've had some experience with startups. And then I could be talking to, you know, someone that's leading innovation at a company. And I, I've done some stuff around that. And so you're able to talk to a lot of different people, have a lot of different conversations that move the community forward. Uh, the other thing I think, too, that really helps having disparate experiences in a community role is that people don't like the same stuff you do, breaking news. And I think community managers or communities, they often struggle when they only develop programming that they think they like. 
And, you know, what I think is really cool about our program specifically is we have synchronous live events. If you're like, I love the energy of being live. I love hearing from industry experts. Like you can see yourself in that space. We have that space for you. If you're a more, you know, thoughtful, I like a one-on-one conversation. I'm more comfortable in that scenario. We do one-on-one coffee chats where we connect community members to each other to have those conversations. If you're someone who's like, and I don't really like the like face-to-face, but give me a thing to read and let me type up a, a really thoughtful response. We have a forum that people are on. That's kind of our virtual campus where people can express themselves that way. And, you know, example after example after example. And so I think, again, the disparate experiences, understanding that, wow, I've, I've seen a lot of different things. I understand that people are different than me, are going to like different things. You build communities, I think, that are more inclusive. Now, like any community, I think we have a ways to go on inclusivity, as does everyone. But I think the starting point is like recognizing that you need to build a community, not just for you, uh, but for other people as well. And then the second thing is like community managers, it's interesting. You have to have good like moderator experience and moderator skills. And like having done Bridge the City and interviewing a lot of people and setting up live events and like moderating panels, I think that is also really shines through. Like you're almost setting other people up for success, both your users and the experts. And community managers, I like to say, there's a difference between being the life of a party and being the host of a party. And as a community manager, it's easy to be like, I'm the life of the party. You're not like you're not at all. You're the host and you're setting up your community for success. You're setting up other people coming into your community for success. And I I think that's something I learned uh, throughout my, my varied experience. And then the last thing is like, I really like business and innovation and entrepreneurship, but I also like care uh, about social justice. And, you know, I'd done AmeriCorps. The fellowship I was in at Marquette was actually a, a fellowship you had to have done AmeriCorps Peace Corps to get in. They take 15 students a year. It's focused on economic and social justice. So I think we have probably one of the best definitions of what a modern business leader looks like. And it's not just about driving revenue or you know adding value, but it's about thinking about the impact that you have, both as a business, but then yourself as a leader. And, you know, you're working with these people, but you also are developing them. You also have relationships with them. And I think we're just more thoughtful about how business ought to be and how leaders ought to be. And so my goal, you come through our program, you're well equipped to succeed in the world, but you're also equipped to leave a positive impact on the people that your business touches and the people that are on your team. So, yeah, I I think it's an interesting background and hopefully it's playing out well. You know, talking about like the you're the host of the party. That's an analogy I use all the time to describe what you need to do as a community builder. And especially when you're welcoming, you know, like onboarding, when people join, it's like they're coming to the party. They don't know anybody. Like you show them where the bathroom is. You take their coat, you, you know, offer them a drink. You say, Oh, Kyle, have you met Sarah Jane? I want to introduce you to, because you both are super into, you know, this cause. And I think you both might be a member of this thing. You should talk. And they kind of like give a warm handoff to like, here's someone to talk to. So now you have someone besides me to cling, not cling to, but to, you know, that you feel familiar with. So I love that. Also the, the one too many, it's also how I help describe a, like, is it an audience or a community? That's a fun little game to play with people. Cause they're like, I have a community. And I'm like, how do you interact with them? And they're like, well, I post on social. And I'm like, that's an audience. Right. And, you know, my take is like, 
audience is not bad. Audience is very powerful and often audience is top of funnel for your community. So like precisely you just, it's important to know what you're doing, why you're doing it and what type of business model you have. And so that's what, that's where I think the definitions are, you know, semi-important, but the, the point you brought up about the host of the party and introducing each people is so spot on. And, you know, I think onboarding is a huge thing in communities and it's the same thing. Like, you really do have one chance to, when someone comes to a party, you have one chance to make a first impression. And it's the same in a community. And, you know, I think what is great, what great hosts do is like they get everyone settled. And then a great host, like if they left, like if they just left their party and like went somewhere else, they could come back in an hour and like everyone's still having a good time. Yeah. In a way, it's you're almost trying to get rid of yourself. Like it should be able to, and I, I joke about this, like you should be able to step away, like say go on a long weekend or even take like a week off and not necessarily, and it should keep going. Like they might notice you're not there, but they might not. Like that's a sign of a really healthy community. And like at some companies, I'm sure people, at, and I, I know I've certainly worked companies like this. It's like, well, I don't, maybe you don't want to do that because they, they don't, they don't want to pay for community anyway. So I don't want to like have myself out of a job, but you won't like they, you're still very much needed, but that is such a good sign of, yes, of a, of a healthy and thriving community. Like, like you said, like you can step out to go buy more ice and the music keeps playing. <laughs> you begin to add value in different ways. Like once the community is established and you've onboarded and, and typically if it's like an always on community, you're always onboarding people. So there's always work to do. You know, our courses are time bound. And so the first week it feels a lot different than week seven. And like you start adding value as a community manager in different ways. You know, you're not just onboarding people, but you're kind of a member yourself. And so there's still always going to be a need for uh, community managers. It's just the type of role depends on kind of where they're at in the onboarding cycle. I'm curious to explore details about, so your community is based on cohort-based courses or CBCs, as we've started abbreviating, which are so hot right now. So obviously there's the the curriculum, you're helping people through, you're helping create relationships between the students or the members, however you refer to the learners, you know, you're, you're doing that. We noticed in our, you know, super sleuth research, like people are getting together in person. There's like you mentioned, there's alumni areas, like what happens when you're done with the eight weeks? Are you moved out of that space into that alumni slack or how are, how are people staying connected to the community post grad. Uh, uh, before I answer that, you, you brought up something interesting, like the the content that we deliver. And I think this is also missed a lot of times. And like, shout out to my people that work in content. You know, people often are like, oh, a community is just like a bunch of people in a Slack. And, you know, it, going back to like the oddly specific thing, I, I think, sure, maybe that is, but like the best communities, they go through a shared experience together. And that's where content is so important and why I think content and community should work hand in hand. People need to go through a shared experience to form bonds, to form friendship, to form community. And so if you just put people in a Slack group, like, yeah, sure, it's many to many, but like, are they going through something that is really bringing people together? And so what's cool about our courses is for eight weeks, you're going through case studies together. You're having these personal board meetings, like you're engaging with our content and discussing and riffing on it. And without that, if you stripped away the content, the community would just be like a bunch of people hanging out for no good reason. And so the content 
is, I think, often overlooked in community spaces. And sometimes community is overlooked, but I think it's the the synergy between the two that make the best communities. And it's important to invest in both. To answer your actual question, what do people do when they get out of the experience? So they become alumni of our product. We'll have about 2,000 alumni after, you know, kind of the quick hits, if you will. They get access to Morning Brews only exclusive newsletter, breaking news, called Alumni Brew that we send out once a month to all of our alumni. And it's formatted just like a morning brew newsletter. Great way to kind of stay connected. Again, that's more of like an audience-based thing, but it's like updates on uh, and shout outs to people in the community. We have an alumni Slack that they have the option to join uh, where we have a job board and we have crowdsource and we have you know, general channels, kind of all the stuff you'd expect from a Slack. Uh, they get discounts to all of our future products. We actually see many alumni come back, take another course. What I think is really cool about our alumni community, and, the, and, and in some ways, your experience with Morning Brew education is actually on, a, on just a time basis, you're going to spend more time as alumni as you're going to spend in our program because people go through this experience together before they join our alumni community. And it's really hard, again, about that shared experience and that those, the, those relationships that are formed through shared experience. It's really hard to like start up a community from scratch on Slack, even around a shared interest. Like, oh, this is the basketball community and we talk about basketball. I love basketball. But like, who are these people? Have we done anything together? Do I have that trust? It's, it's hard to build from scratch. So I view our programs as not only a value add to our students, but as the great filter. Like you have gone through this experience. It means that one, you're dedicated. Two, you're a lifelong learner. Three, you're curious. Four, you kind of fit our ethos of what a business leader should be. So if you've gone through that experience, now you're in our alumni community. It's like we've found you know all the types of people that want to be here. They've done, even if they're in different cohorts, they can relate. They've done similar case studies. They've heard similar speakers. They've seen kind of the same vibe. So it's like an alumni community of 2000 people that have also gone through a shared experience. And I think that's where the real power is. And that's where the real potential is. I was like, Hey, we're going to have so many of these incredibly dynamic professionals that are lifelong learners. That's a community that I want to be part of. I think that's a community that companies want to tap into when they're seeking talent. And, and so there's lots of different ways to go with that community. But yeah, that's what the alumni are up to. And we call them brudence. So like students, morning brew, Brudence. Brudence. That's, I can't, it's, it's too good. <laughs> so I'm curious, like your, your Brudence, I'm assuming it's kind of global, like people who participate or is it mostly North America? It's across the U S right now we are U S only with like a, there's a few exceptions, but yeah, we're U S only. And that is not by any sort of like nationalist choice. It is a function of like our legal and tax compliance. So we are working to accept international students. There also is some synchronous components. So obviously if you're like in similar time zones and you know, you're in Guatemala or Mexico or Canada, it would work. But if you're in Germany, the time difference might cause some issues. So we're still working those out, but we would love to accept international students uh, as soon as possible. Well, and that kind of leads into where I was going is because you do, you know, you have synchronous and asynchronous, just matching people into those smaller groups within the cohort. Do you have challenges with that? I'm curious how you go about it. It sounds like having like five-ish time zones makes it much easier 
we have a global membership. And so the, the cohort-based courses we've done and also just our community, it's definitely challenging. Australia, like Oceania is particularly like 2.30 a.m., our time is perfect for them. <laughs> right, right. It's uh, that is definitely a challenge across communities. You know, for our peer groups. So again, our learning is like very multimodal. So some things you're doing individually, some things you're doing with peer groups, some things you're doing with another peer group, some things you're doing with the whole community. We do have a community platform called Circle. That's like Slack meets Facebook groups that you're on. You have a profile you're posting that's always on. So there, it's multimodal. But for the peer group specifically, our first filter is time zone. So you're going to be put in a group with other people based on time zone. So scheduling is easier. You know, for our board meetings where you get a personal board of directors, our second filter is actually shared professional experience. We want these groups to kind of be your, again, personal board of directors. You're coming together to talk about shared professional challenges. You do four of those throughout the program. And we have you schedule those like from the jump. So, hey, like get together. There's five other people in your group. Figure out when you're free for four weeks during the eight week process. Let's get those booked now. You're in similar time zones. So that has worked out well. And so, yeah, the challenge is mitigated by the time zone and the fact that we just have enough people in enough different time zones to make it work. But yeah, that is a challenge for all community builders. Since you put people together based on time zone, do you find that a lot of people get together in person because they are closer geographically? Yeah. So I would say they get together in person based on kind of metro area. And so, you know, an average cohort of MBA will have like 30 or 40 people in New York and 15 in Boston and seven in Atlanta and five in Denver and three in Minneapolis. Shout out Minneapolis, greatest city in the world and 10 in Seattle and, you know, eight in the Bay Area. You, you kind of the major metro areas of the states. And so, yeah, people often get together in groups of anywhere from three to 30 and, you know, grab a coffee, grab a drink, grab lunch. And I think a sign of a thriving community is going from URL to IRL or from online to in real life. And if you're able to kind of cross the digital chasm and meet uh, in person, I think that is an incredible testament, not only to our people that go through our program, but at least the environment we've created where people feel comfortable enough to meet in person. Would you say that this program is just an elongated, oddly specific connector? <laughs> in some ways, yes. You know, I, I think like doing an interactive, cool case study with people is pretty interesting. It's not something I stumble upon every day. So I think there's elements of that. But yeah, I mean, at the root of it is, again, like going through shared experiences matter. And communities that leave that out, I think, just really struggle with like, why am I here? And do I really have bonds with these people? And to Jillian's point early, er, you know, the case studies are hard. Like learning should be fun, but like it's this basic premise of life. If you're comfortable, you're not growing like just a fact. And so if you're learning, it should be fun. We want it to be engaging, but you should be stretched. And when people are stretched together, it is this, you know, I don't want to use the word lightly, but it's like trauma bonding where like you've gone through a difficult thing with other people. Uh, you've come out on the other side as more, you know, advanced or resilient or you're smarter people. And it's that it's that bond. You know, I, I've gone like whitewater rafting with complete strangers. And like when you're like, oh, I'm about to flip upside down and possibly drown and someone grabs you. It's like, OK, we went through an experience together. Now we're grabbing beers after this. See, trauma bonds. Yes. It's interesting. And, and the founding cohort, we actually like, we gave them too many case studies and they'll be the first to admit. We had them do like a case study every week. It was wild. It was intense. If you look at our NPS scores, the founding cohort actually has the highest NPS score. And I would say we gave them the most difficult work. And there's 
you know, there's many factors that go into MPS. The pricing was different. It was the founding cohort, different context. But I think there's something to learn from that. And the principle is a community that's super easy, where no one is pushed, is probably not a community that's going to form close bonds. And sometimes people will tell you what they want, but that's not actually what they want. It is the classic Henry Ford quote. If I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. So yeah, of course, people, they get into your community. They're going to say like, I don't want to be pushed and I'm chilling and I'm comfortable. People do. That is why people join communities. They're in it for the transformation. And you can only have transformation through uncomfort. And so creating situations that are hard, but creating an environment where they feel safe psychologically to attempt them is paramount. Boom. Well, Kyle, this has been amazing. I want to be respectful of your time. So we are going to transition to the last bit of what we do, which is our rapid fire. Let's do it. And Sarah Jane's going to ask you a series of questions. The goal is to have a like one sentence or less answer, just whatever comes to you. We will try to not ask follow-up questions despite our urge to. We can save that for Twitter. I'm excited. Here we go. Are you ready? Lighting round activated. All right. Here we go, Kyle. What did you want to be when you grew up? Lawyer. How do you define community? Many to many. What is something on your bucket list that you have done? Farmed in rural farms in Italy. That's a good one. All right. What's something on your bucket list that you have yet to do? Skydive. What's a book that you are currently loving? All right. I'm currently loving it because I think about it all the time. I'm not currently reading it. It's called Range by David Epstein. I literally... Like I'm not getting paid, but I should be because I promote this book so much. Range by David Epstein. You have to read it. Is that the generalist book? Yes. The The tagline is why generalists will triumph in a specialized world. On my list. Awesome. Okay. Following the rules and moving on. If you could live anywhere else, where would it be? Chicago. And how do you want to be remembered? Damn. All right. And <laughs> thinking about my funeral here. Just casual Wednesday thoughts. You know, I, I'm a fan of the quote and I'm going to butcher it and I don't know who said it, so I probably shouldn't even be saying it, but I'm going to anyway. It's like, you don't die when you die. You die the last time someone says your name. So yeah, I mean, I guess like the most basic answer ever is just like, I hope that someone out there has been changed by something I've done and that has positively impacted them and it leads to a better world. Good answer. That one's tough to hit and like very... Like I almost cried. I'm not going to lie. Like my eyes. Yeah, yeah. it was close. <laughs> it was a great like, answer. And our guest <laughs> begins to tear up at the end of the podcast and we're in complete disarray. We have done our jobs. Yes. Well, we, yeah. Yes. We made him cry. We get extra. We get a bonus every time. <laughs> also, it looks like that quote is from Banksy, which thrills me greatly because I'm interesting. A huge fan, which I wouldn't have expected, but maybe it's not the original, but just... And we don't know who Banksy is, so the quote could be actually from any of us. I mean, I could... Maybe I'm Banksy. I, I kind of got Banksy vibes when I started this. I was like, I know. Jillian might be Banksy. I might be. In fact, I have to head to France soon for, <laughs> for something unrelated. But the end I quote quote is, I mean, they say you die twice. One time when you stop breathing and a second time a bit later on when somebody says your name for the last time. Yeah. Boom. That's deep. And next to it, I'm looking at Goodreads, is one of my arts, <laughs> one of Banksy's street art of a, a little girl hugging a missile. So hmm. fantastic. But I like how he talks about the world. Or she, they. I like how the, I should say they. Love you, Banksy. Call me. On that note, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been such a pleasure. We're now best friends. So look out for me bothering you because we've got of course. tons in common as community builders. I love the way you look at community. 
And I'm excited to learn more about all of these accelerator cohort-based courses you have. I think I might have to do one. You definitely should. Yeah. It would be a lot of fun. Right? Yeah. I mean, imagine having a community builder in there as a brudent. It'd be a blast. It'd be so annoying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, thank you both for having me. This was a great conversation. Any conversation where I almost cry is, you know, a great one. But it was very thoughtful. If people are interested, they can go to learning.morningbrew.com to find out more about our accelerators. And if anyone has any questions about anything I've said, Kyle at morningbrew.com is my email. And I do check it. So please reach out. My gosh. Well, as a, because you are a podcaster, you just did the thing I was going to ask you. Got you. Also, where can people find you on social? My LinkedIn is Kyle Hagee. My Twitter is at Kyle Hagee. And my website is KyleHagee.com. So if we wanted to end with some nice narcissism, find me at everywhere you find Kyle Hagee. Well, and there's also Bridge the City. Yeah, Bridge the City. I'm not active with that organization anymore. I'm now in New York, but it's great and you should check it out. Gotcha. And of course, oddly specific, .norby.live. Yes. I think that is our website. If you follow me and Rachel on Twitter, you'll get updates. We're planning a new event right now, actually. So. Ew. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Kyle, thanks again. This has been a delight. Hope to see you. Hope to see you on the interwebs. Um, until next time. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that was our interview with Kyle. So many great nuggets in that interview. Like I just, I, I love it. I know I said this like with our last interview where I was like, I'm just taking all the notes. I I did it again, but because there's just so many great key things to walk away from. So Jill, what really stuck out to you? All the things. <laughs> Kyle is definitely has a love for Minnesota. We definitely established that. We did. I really appreciate what he said about shared experience and how by creating really unique or like weird out of the box experiences, you can really accelerate relationships, be it friendships or professional and the whole stoop and sit, not sit and stoop, stoop and sit that like, just (laughs) it's like, that is such a cool example of doing that. And he has the evidence to say I did it and it works. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I keep thinking about that. I'm like, could that work where I live? It's very cold where I live, but maybe, you know, maybe we don't really have stoops. Park and sit. You have slopes. Slope slope and sit. sit. (laughs) Yeah. Hook off this cliff together. You'll become best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Very quickly. As you as you rely on each other for survival. Yes. (laughs) Or you will die. One of the two. It's gonna be great. Yeah. What did you think about just the whole concept of the the like shared, the shared experience and the weirder, the better sort of thought process? Yeah, it was one of those things where I guess I hadn't thought about it much. And then as he was saying it, I'm like going back through my memory of my own experiences through life. And I'm like, oh, no, that checks out. That checks out like the people that I have maintained, you know, long term friendships with or even working relationships like they have started out either in a a strange way or like we talked about in the interview like through some kind of trauma that has happened that like a shared trauma because these shared experiences are not always happy ones but you know either way it deepens a relationship much faster and you share something that you don't really share with anyone else yeah absolutely and it and it makes me think about how in digital community in particular cuz in person events 
Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing. There's a yeah. there's a lot of options. Yeah. So how do you do it digitally? I know um, one of our pro members, Kaylin, has hosted one, and he's going to host another of, of these like. <laughs> I, and this is where the, you know, where the internet is passing me by and I'm okay with it, but it's like a metaverse or there's a, there's a platform called Bramble, which is also in circle. I found out they like, they're in the circle support community, but, uh, and you can do kind of like the meta, like not virtual reality. I'm really going to butcher this. So to all the people listening who are keeping up with the internet, I apologize, but he did like a networking event on that for pro. And I was like, that's really cool. That's really unique. Right. And I, I couldn't make it. So I'm, I'm very curious. I want to try to make the next one just to see, you know, is it like Topia? We had Brooke from Topia on the show a few episodes ago. Is it, you know, it's these like spaces that you go in and, and interact in and just kind of different than what we're used to. I'm just word salading right now. Cause I still don't totally get the whole thing. I'm like, wait, so do I need a digital outfit? I don't know. But it's cool. It's something just totally different. Yeah. And still pretty new. I would imagine that most people have the ex- the same experience you do, which is like, I don't really know what it is, but it sounds really neat. <laughs> I think that it is harder to find, you know, to get beyond a Zoom call digitally. And so, you know, what Kyle was describing, even with like Morning Brews Accelerator, where they have different ways of interacting, all the ways that these things are successful with like the white pages and some in-person stuff or the in-person stuff comes out of the digital stuff they do. So yeah, kudos to them. Yeah. Like with a cohort based course and we've seen it with ours, people get super close. And I think it's just because they're spending a lot of, there's a lot of structured time together in many ways, but then there's also that free time. And then you kind of get like the study buddy and, you know, it's kind of like being back in school, but without all the bad parts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see just what, what even like platforms are available to do, to do kind of the out of the box things, but also to your point, there's obviously ways to do it a little more traditionally within the existing cohort model or just whatever, whatever community you use. I know for our community, we definitely encourage people to meet in person if, if that's something that they're comfortable with. And we're looking probably, you know, later this year, we want to launch a more formalized in-person events piece to our community now that the pandemic is, I mean, we'll see, right? It's still here, but um, now that <laughs> right. most people feel safer. Receding maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? It's an endemic now. Yeah, no, but We'll uh, we'll figure it out. But that's an exciting piece for us to to kind of formalize in-person meetups. But yeah, I'm curious, anybody listening, what you've tried. Is there any sort of quirky or just unique way to connect people that that's helped? Uh, you can you can reach out to at Team SPI on Twitter to let us know if you have any any hot gas on, on that subject. Anything else, Sarah Jane, that you found? I know you've been Venn diagramming since since we talked to Kyle. Yeah, just thinking about, you know, Kyle is just, he's very self-aware and able to recognize the different strengths that he has and being able to Venn diagram them. I walked away from that interview like, huh, okay, I should probably go Venn diagram myself now <laughs> and all of my team members. This is very cool. I think that we don't spend enough time recognizing that in ourselves and in the people around us. So even that, you know, aside from like the community talk that I walked away with and have been thinking about ever since. 
So that's fantastic. So yeah, lots of Venn diagrams in my notebook here. <laughs> yeah. Do you color code? Oh, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm sure they will be. It's that would be like the part that I enjoyed the most. I'd be like, well, I'm going to color code it. I don't know what content I'll put here. (laughs) (laughs) Colors first. Yeah. (laughs) Colors first, please. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We will see you next Tuesday, but thanks for listening. And yeah, have fun out there. Learn more about Kyle at his website, kylehaggy.com. That is Kyle, K-Y-L-E, Haggy is H-A-G-G-E dot com or on Twitter at Kyle Haggy. You can also find him at morningbrew.com. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski and our editor is Ray Sylvester. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.